Hello, and welcome to Meandering with Myrn, a potpourri of podcasts by me, veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. Join me as I ponder any and all things animal and human, what we know and what we don't, where we've been, where we are, and where we're headed. Using energy to decode animal behavior makes analyzing problem displays much easier. I learned that valuable lesson from a much more experienced veterinary ethologist years ago. Since then, I've made an energy audit my first step when evaluating cats and dogs displaying behaviors that their people, landlords, neighbors, or society in general find unacceptable. A point to remember when doing such an audit is that it includes all of the animal's behaviors. We live in such a problem-oriented society that it's easy to forget that animal behaviors don't occur in a vacuum, any more than our own do. Though two-year-old Iggy's aggressive display may seem like it came out of nowhere, most likely it didn't. Perhaps his people noticed, but missed or misinterpreted, the meaning of his early warning signs. Or perhaps they so liked what they thought these gateway behaviors meant, they reinforced these early displays. Or they excused, completely missed, or totally forgot other early behaviors that supported Iggy's course toward aggression. When any of these early human responses occur, our animal's later displays of aggression may take us completely by surprise. We can't imagine why our lovable dogs or cats would do such a thing. When analyzing behavioral energy audits, a general rule of thumb is that the more energy an animal devotes to the behavioral displays, the less confident the animal feels in that physical and mental environment. The one exception to this is celebratory, but not stress-driven, play. If you watch animals from stable pet, cat, or dog backgrounds in stable homes, They often put a lot of energy into their play. They play by themselves as well as with others. They love their toys and make up games to amuse themselves. When they tire themselves out, they collapse into contented heaps and sleep. Wild and domestic animals of all ages may engage in bouts of celebratory play. However, these are especially noticeable in young animals with lots of energy whose parents are other adults with quality parental skills that meet the youngster's physical and emotional needs. Compare celebratory play to the stress-relieving play displayed by animals from or living in more unstable environments. Some describe this kind of play as excessive. It has a distinct edge to it. These animals run too fast. They hit playmates too hard. 
They're too hard-mouthed. They put too much force behind their jaws when they pin another animal. And they pin their unlucky animal playmates too long. They destroy their toys instead of playing with them. Let's consider some other energy-related examples. As those familiar with my work know, I consider canine and feline elimination behaviors, also known as urination and defecation or pooping or stool production, gold mines of information regarding what's going on in an animal's head. The answer to the question, how much energy does this animal devote to these behaviors, often yields all kinds of valuable information. Recall our aggressive friend Iggy. Iggy devotes a lot of energy to elimination and has since his people adopted him as a young adult five years ago. Despite having been neutered as a young pup somewhere during his rescue transport experience, he lifts his leg the majority of the time. Or rather he did until last year when rear end arthritis related to pre-adoption trauma made leg lifting painful. But whether he lifts his leg or squats, he continues to pee in small amounts multiple times around his home and during walks off property with his people. On the other hand, he poops like clockwork twice a day, always in the same location, often to brush away from the trail, and in nice neat piles. Other dogs of both sexes always may empty their bladders in one spot and mark multiple times with stool instead. More fearful animals who mark repeatedly with urine or stool may experience medical effects if their marking demands exceed the amount of urine and stool produced to do this. Some of these animals may expend energy straining to produce a few drops of urine or some soft stool to do the job. Others may drink or eat more to support their marking habits. Converting this to stool or urine also requires more energy than processing the optimum amounts of both. The brains of these animals also may expend more energy when in stressed territorial compared to relaxed mode. It may take more energy for these animals' people and their veterinarians to figure out whether those multiple smaller deposits of urine or those repeated stops to deposit progressively softer stool during a walk signal medical or behavioral problems or both. Because these problems can sag from behavioral to medical and back again, it's often more energy efficient to cover the medical and behavioral basis from the beginning. But regardless how you look at it, elimination problems can consume a lot of energy. Energy audits of problem animal behavioral displays 
can reveal much about these animals. However, they're incomplete unless they take into account our own and other people's responses when these problems occur. The ability of people to remain calm when their own or another person's animal misbehaves can't be underestimated. Not only can this prevent the animal from misbehaving in the first place, it also may keep the problem behavior from escalating once it's occurred. But modeling calm behavior may be difficult for some people. We live in a society that often rewards reactivity more than thoughtfulness to the point that some people equate calmness with indifference. People who make that erroneous connection may have difficulty remaining calm to help their animals. Others mistakenly may perceive high energy responses as proactive rather than reactive. But proactive responses are those designed to prevent problems from happening, not abort those that already have. Reactive responses may be effective and even necessary to abort a problematic display to prevent harm. However, they do nothing to prevent the problem from happening in the first place. In other words, these are high-energy reactions, not solutions. But prevention initially does require a greater investment of energy over a longer period of time, more energy than that expended in one high-energy burst to abort a problem behavior in progress. And let's face it, for some people, prevention isn't nearly as exciting either. But exciting or not, mustering the energy to establish good habits to prevent physical and behavioral health problems later in the animal's life is a lot more energy efficient. Ultimately, it may boil down to a cost-benefit analysis. Is the amount of energy necessary to prevent the animal's problem behavior from recurring worth it? There's no right or wrong answer here. It's far better to recognize any energy limits we place on our ability to help our animals than make some half-hearted approach that will only make the problem behavior worse. You've been listening to a podcast by veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. For more podcasts, commentaries, and books about animal behavior and the human-animal bond, and links to behavior and bond sites, check out my website at www.mmilani.com. For more specific information, feel free to email me at mm.mmilani.com. All rights related to the content of these podcasts are retained by Myrna Milani. The background music, Molly on the Shore by Percy Granger, is used with permission from Katova Arts, www.katova.com. <laughs>